And we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 134. Here's a Boo Crew fright fact. While filming 1976's Carrie, Sissy Spacek, who played Carrie, slept in her bloody clothes for three consecutive days while filming the prom scene to keep continuity. We wanted to take time out to thank our latest patrons and friends, Candace Torres, Bree James, and Matt Cardner. For bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and more, join the Creature Corps at patreon.com slash theboocrew. This time around, you're joined by Christina Scabia from the cinematic metal band Lacuna Coil. She's hanging out with us remotely from Italy to talk about her love of horror, collecting, gaming, comic books, and Lacuna Coil's brilliant ninth album, Black Anima, available everywhere. Episode 134 starts now. Hello, everyone. This is Christina Scabia of Lacuna Coil. You're invoking the Black Souls of the Boo Crew. The Boo Crew dusts a fright flick off the shelf for ah! Horror Homework. Chit chatting about the movie. Dude, I hope you do not hear the chainsaw in the background. There's a fucking dude out there with a leaf blower. What? What? Yeah. Right now? It's one in the morning. Oh, don't worry. This is, you know, not where I live. Party never ends. What the fuck? Can you guys hear it? No, right? No, I can't. Is it really? Is it Leatherface? What's going on? Uh, What? There's a chainsaw or a leaf blower? We see what happens if I turn off the gate on. Can you hear it now? Oh, shit. Dude, what's going on? (laughs) Do you live near a strip mall or something? Are they? (laughs) Yeah, dude. It's just crazy. Who is that? Yeah, who what is are that they com- doing? Isn't that breaking I some sort of noise ordinance? Like, it's LA. Do you think there's a noise ordinance? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Probably not an enforceable one. Okay, anyway. have you gone oh, and shit. investigated? Because I would have been windows open. I would have been down the street going like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, that's something you don't do around here. Well. Because some people are mentally unstable, you know? But you just, the ones that use leaf blowers on the middle of the street at You know what? You just <laughs> pretend to be walking. Take that dog for a walk. Just be like, dun, dun, dun. oh my God, someone's got a chainsaw and it's cutting down trees. Like, Where's he cutting down trees? Lauren, where's he cutting down trees? I don't know. In beautiful downtown? Eagle, Eagle And that's how we begin another round of horror homework, where we each highlight a horror flick to each other and possibly even to you and to the guy with the leaf blower outside that uh, we consider a must-see or perhaps worth a revisit. No, it's a chainsaw. Starting with the guy with the chainsaw outside Leo's house. I ain't talking to that dude. Good luck, man. (laughs) He's probably got some some good picks. All right, Leo, uh, you got us going. Yeah, you know, I checked out a movie. I was like a little reminder because I saw this a couple years ago. But this girl who's involved in the movie, she's actually one of the producers of the movie. Her name is Tara Ansley. She tweeted about it recently, and I'm like, oh, I gotta watch that again. It's called Tragedy Girls from 2017. Heard of it? Haven't seen it. You gotta see it. It's just one of those dark, dark horror comedies. 
Yeah, it's currently playing on Hulu, so who knows? At the time of release, it's on Hulu, but who knows going forward where it'll be. But this movie, directed by Tyler McIntyre, stars Brianna Hildebrand as Sadie Cunningham. Remember her? She's in Deadpool, the Deadpool movie. She's the Negasonic Teenage Warhead. And it also stars Alexandra Shipp as Michaela Hooper, and Jack Quaid as Jordan Welch. So this movie plays out uh, as a little twist on the slasher genre. It follows uh, two death-obsessed teenage girls in high school. They use their online presence on Twitter to promote their Twitter account, their online show about real-life tragedies uh, within their high school peers to send their small town, uh, Midwestern town, into a crazy frenzy to elevate their status and make them famous uh, as, as modern horror legends. So it's just one of those super dark comedy movies, man, that just grabs you from the opening scene because it pays homage to everything. I mean, just look at the cast. Sadie Cunningham. Cunningham as in Sean Cunningham. Then you have Michaela Hooper as in Toby Hooper. So you have a bunch of cast names uh, paying homage to the greats of horror, as well as a lot of iconic scenes that were paying homage, not necessarily recreated, but you get hints of it throughout the whole movie. So if you're paying attention, you'll, you'll catch a, a nice hint of this movie, that movie, and the other. But I highly recommend it. It's just one of those fun, dark movies where you'll sit there and just laugh your ass off because you're like, I can't believe they're fucking fighting over this. I can't believe she said this. You know, check it out. Well, we saw, uh, the two of us, Lauren and I, both saw a, an indie horror film from 1986 that has earned cult status. It allegedly made almost $18,000 at the box office when it was given a limited <laughs> theatrical release by Sony Video Software Company in January 1987. It was directed by Brendan Faulkner, Thomas Duran, Eugenie Joseph, starring Felix Ward, Dan Scott, Alec Nemser, Maria Puchukas. Now available for the first time ever on Blu-ray from the folks at Vinegar Syndrome, who have also released a limited edition LP of the film's incredibly wonderful 80s soundtrack on colored vinyl. We are talking about a movie called Spookies. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 86. Wow. Yeah. So Lauren, what did you think of what did you think of the journey that we took with Spookies? Oh, it was a journey. <laughs> it was a journey into somewhere I, I'm not very sure. Uh, so I looked up this movie tonight and um i checked the synopsis and i was like oh that's what that movie was about because i couldn't really tell you like i could tell you bits and pieces but it, it's basically about a sorcerer who tries to get this group of crazy people in a house to save his wife's life and it just i was like wait what it's so confusing. Like there's so many things going on that just make no sense. And I'm like, maybe I'm just missing something, but no, I, I think the whole movie's missing something. <laughs> the movie's legendary because of exactly what, what you're talking about. So basically it was made by two separate groups of filmmakers who used the same set with completely different casts. And it was edited by like a completely different group of people than the people who started the project. So this goes back to 1984, the year the original Nightmare on Elm Street came out. Yeah. The year right. Friday the 13th, 
the final chapter unleashed its madness on an unsuspecting Corey Feldman. Right. The same year Billy got a pet you weren't supposed to feed after midnight. The year a young Drew Barrymore started lighting shit on fire with her oh, mind. Oh, I love that movie. Yes. The year Melvin Ferd became the Toxic Avenger. You get the picture. This all happened in 1984, a very magical time. Damn, what it, a year. I know, right? It was at that time that a film called Twisted Souls by two first-time filmmakers and horror freaks, the guys Brendan Faulkner and, and Thomas Duran, they were wrapping up this movie they did, this ode to the movies they loved. And they made this film about a group of people who come across a haunted house and get stalked by its monstrous inhabitants and they filmed it at the real life jay estate this old mansion the effects were incredibly fun and inventive and they were done by a couple of kids gabe bartellos who was 16 years old lauren when he was Holy making those effects shit. he was 16 oh, wow. oh my gosh wow right now i have some respect more respect for this and it was gabe it was him and uh, a young woman named jennifer aspinall who had since gone on to be nominated for 10 emmys for her work on snl and mad tv and gabe went on to work on blade dark man godzilla texas chainsaw 2 he worked with savini on friday the 13th part 4 gremlins he was part of the crew with that he worked on dolls he designed leprechaun Wow. So they went on to do a ton of amazing stuff. So the effects Damn. in this film are really fucking yeah. spectacular when you especially when you consider how young they were when they were doing this. And again, when the original filmmakers went out about uh, about making this film, they went with the mission a new monster every page is what they had said. Because these people are literally yeah. walking down this the hallways of this house. Every room holds a different monster. Spider monsters. There's weird lizard creatures. There's muck men in the basement. There's all the. It's like a video game. It's kind of like hilarious House of Frightenstein, that TV show I always talk about. That yes. Canadian horror TV show that took mm -hmm. place in Castle Frightenstein, where there's weird monsters at every turn and nothing makes sense. This is kind of what this film kind of plays like. So due to a series of events. The directors left the film after it was 90% done. They had a falling out with the executives who were in charge and they ended up leaving slash the executives kicked them out. And because of the agreement on their contracts, they lost all power to what was left. I think they, they seem to be shocked that, hey, what, what would they do? 90% of the film is done. They're just going to let us have no what they ended up doing was giving the film onto a second group of people. So the second group of people came in and added characters that weren't even there to begin with. Like that wizard sorcerer guy. Yeah. Was an add on. What? Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that's kind of like the glue that stitches this craziness together. So a lot of the stuff really has those moments of no rhyme or reason and not following up. But it, as a result, it plays almost like whimsically more fun. I don't know. It's, it's just nuts. Yeah. It's, I think it's like a movie you see because you kind of have to see it because it's so weird and just like off and none of it makes sense. And the practical effects are amazing. Incredible. Like where are all those things? I wonder, I mean, destroyed probably. I, I'm, I'm serious. There was yeah. some great, like the Ouija board. There's a yeah. great Ouija board. That's kind of one of the centerpieces of the story and a uh, planchette that, that really cool yeah. demonic planchette that they use. And 
all sorts of like people's faces are melting and people are being buried alive. There's werewolves and God, there's a, what was my favorite one was some of the um, cave monsters. Yeah. Later on in the film. And there's a bride. It actually plays a lot like ready or not the second half of the film, right? A little bit. The lady's in her bride outfit (laughs) running away from the monsters. Yep. Although Grace did it way better. Way better. Grace knocked it out of the park. (laughs) I think it was just also, I think it was weird because I couldn't place, like, people looked older like oh and the cow- crew the crew of kids that the crew of kids in quotes that stumbles across this yeah house. i'm like this is a 50 year old accountant like yeah. what is he doing? <laughs> like is- one of the guys has like a brand new like crisp blue suit and tie and he's hanging out with like a greaser guy who looks like he's wearing like a like a, a, trash, a, bag a trash bag with outfit. zippers <laughs> but and it's like cut really short to his he's uh Hair, his hairy stomach and back are showing, <laughs> yes. right? That's funny. But he's like the sexy guy, right? Yeah, no. It's a really, really like weird sexy. pack of kids who come across. Yeah. But they're not kids. Like no. I was like, is that her dad? Yeah. Like, and I was <laughs> right, like, like why are these two they're groups together? of people even hanging out together? It just, it That's made funny. no sense. Like so it fun. was like trying to catch up the whole time. And I hilarious I dialogue. Was it the Duke? The Duke? Yes. The Duke provides. The Duke provides. <laughs> there was some flatulation. There was, yeah. Speaking of which, that was not originally in the movie. They were fil- the original filmmakers were like shocked when they saw that. Like randomly, Leo in the middle of the movie, uh, over top of some monsters, some great muck monsters in the basement. All of a sudden, like there's farting sounds over top of everything. Like that make no sense. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. And apparently That's the hilarious. editors were like, the sound guy was like, this is funny. Like every every time I play this for everybody, they're laughing. So I'm putting it in. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they wow. left it in the movie. <sighs> yeah. And the Igor That's guy, funny. the sorcerer guy, the one thing that it's like he's talking whenever he speaks, oh, it God. sounds like he's talking through one of those plastic microphone toys for kids with the springs inside. I'm pretty sure he was. I think that's exactly what yeah. it was. But whenever he speaks, that's what it sounds like. That part drove me crazy. I know. I was like, Whoa. oh, my God, that sound. But um, yeah, you got it. You have to see this. It's really it's short. You know, it's yeah. like what an hour. I think it's under an hour 30. And nice. the music, like like we said, is. Is a, is a riot and it's done by these two guys again they just re-released this on on vinyl i believe it's green vinyl it was jim calabrese and ken higgins who scored this and mm. again this is like the only thing they really done they did a documentary in 87 they did this movie they did four episodes of a tv show called hemingway in 1988 and then that was it for ken and then jim ended up appearing doing music on a documentary about a baker in 2011 and that is it. It's fast. It's a fascinating yeah, story. I mean, I am not, I am not surprised. <laughs> and the Blu-ray, I loved it. I thought the score was, it was so 80s. It reminded me of like Waxworks. Yeah, favorite, it was. It was. films uh, that came out in 88. But um, the choices, like, I'm like, do we need this sound right? Like, it just, I like a score <laughs> that just adds to the film and kind of like, sometimes you don't even notice it. Right. But this, I was like, what is that instrument? What is that sound? Like, I mean, it's 80s. It's super 80s. All the 80s movies were like They that. did, right? Yeah. They did. They really like had scores that really stood out and they were almost composed, seemed to compose more theme songs than yeah. 
composed for a scenes back then. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of horror movies that the ones that I love anyway. Um, right. Anyway, you, it's, you got to check it out. And the Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome has, it tells a lot of the story. There's some great special features on it that you want to see. And yeah, uh, that was our first purchase from Vinegar Syndrome as well. So. Yep. Oh, nice. Yeah. Can't wait to see what else they have up their sleeves over at uh, Vinegar Syndrome. So there you go. Tragedy Girls and Spookies. Spookies. Yeah, we're, we only did. We shared ours this week. Yeah, it's been a crazy week. It's always a crazy <laughs> week. I just, right. you know, I don't know. I could talk about Knives Out. <laughs> it's on Amazon Prime now. It is. It is. If you want to watch it, and are you making the another the chainsaw outside? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, tell that guy. <laughs> we should bring over some s'mores. You're making some ranch s'mores, another batch soon, I believe. I, I saw the ingredients on the counter. Yes, our kids nice. keep asking every day, like when we're gonna have them. So I gotta make them. If any listeners are out there and they end up getting a shipment from ranch of ranch s'mores. From us somehow. What? I don't know. People have been asking. It's possible. It's possible. It's not impossible. But just We're know not say how it's possible. But it is possible. Those little marshmallows are each hand assembled, right? <laughs> each of those mini marshmallows. That's what okay. takes. That's the labor behind it, right? That that takes forever. See, I wanted him to see what a pain in the ass it it can be, and because <laughs> you don't cook a lot. I don't cook at all. Or ever. Um, so just wanted to show them. Not like, that I'm lazy. I just don't know how to do it. Uh, you really? Yeah. I don't know how to do it well. There. <laughs> <laughs> you do. I help. I try. Yes. So I asked him to help me because you have to put the mini marshmallows like like line them up. And then first right. he started doing them sideways. And then I was like, nope, we got to do it like this. And then he said, can't we just throw the whole bag on the top? Just kind of mess them around. <laughs> no, each little one has to be like painstakingly right beside each other. Oh, man. To give this the look of the famous Chris Evans white cable knit sweater exactly and so when you mess with that that's why it's got to be perfect but it takes time it's not something just super easy so if you end up if you're a listener and you end up uh <laughs> happening upon a ransomware in your mailbox who am i gonna send i don't know people have been at, like i said people have been asking uh, yeah but uh, now people are really gonna ask right? <laughs> <laughs> Or they're not going to hear a shit either. Or yeah, it's one That's or the probably other. the more likely. Yeah, <laughs> nobody. More wants for it. us. More for us. This is the Boo Crew Podcast. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy studio is a singer and lyricist for one of the most highly acclaimed bands in metal. Their debut album in Reverie was released in 99 and it remains as an innovative masterwork that created an entirely new path and sound. That spark and sense of adventure has always been present across all of their subsequent work. A few short years later, by the time 2002 came around with their album Comalies, they became an award-winning metal act. 
They gave legendary record label Century Media the best-selling album in its history. They started gracing the big screen in the soundtracks for horror films like Resident Evil, Apocalypse, and the Underworld franchise. Horror video games like Vampire the Masquerade, all the while developing an insane and truly evocative live presence. By the time 2006 rolled around, their next album, Karma Code, put them on the Billboard charts and on the main stage at OzFest, Download, and on the road with countless tours winning Metal Hammer's Golden Gods Award for Best Live Act. The band's continued evolution is something that really is simply unheard of. The next four albums saw them perfect this total cinematic assault and uniquely crafted immersion and 360 intimate experience of recorded visual music elevated by an unmatched multi-sensory stage adventure. They released a phenomenal book chronicling the 20-year history of the band and their monumental 119 concert experience in London surrounded by outstanding special effects and a real-time circus wrapped around the music. Their ninth journey, Black Anima, was released in October of this past year and is just stunning. We really see it designed to be a unique Horror movie experience come to life in your headphones, a trip meant to be taken in one sitting from beginning to end as you encounter the many demons and angels locked inside. With this is a creator whose voice defies logic, it is empowering and transportive, and on this album she has truly become a master of it. We are honored to welcome Christina Scabia of Lacuna Coil. Wow, that was a hell of an introduction. (laughs) I was like, wow, is that us? For real? (laughs) Thank you so much for this. Hey, no problem at all. And thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. So you're currently out in Italy where this pandemic hit very hard at first. How have you been holding up? Oh, my God. Yeah, we were the first ones after after China. So we we stayed a couple of months home, and since yesterday, no day before yesterday, uh, we started to to go out a little bit more, you know, to visit our relatives. Of course, always with mask on because it's mandatory. But it looks like things are getting better, very very slowly, but at least it's a good sign. Yeah, well, I think we're we're starting to get close out here. I know in California slowly reopening and trying to you know trying to get back to that new normal how how does that feel right now is it still like is everybody a little on edge is it still a little trepidatious out there it feels like the most surreal things ever because i mean i went out today to go for groceries and i feel clumsy i mean being home for so long you go out and you feel like you cannot even walk anymore as you used to do <laughs> I opened up the, the door of my car and I hid myself on my forehead and I cut myself open. I just I can't do things anymore. It feels weird. Even driving must be really weird, right? Well, more than driving is just the fact that the streets are empty. There are more people than there that there used to be a few weeks ago, but it is it feels like I don't know. Uh, it it is hard to describe. You see very few people with mask on, you just look at them and everybody has a huge question mark on their on their heads because we don't know what will go on and what will happen. Right. Or what we should be doing or what we shouldn't be doing. Do you wear a mask? Do you know, you know, it's very, yeah. it's very strange. What has the quarantine looked like for you? Have, been, have you been writing? Have you been binge watching shows? Have you been doing art? What have you been up to? To be honest, I, I relaxed. A lot because we came back home a couple of weeks before the lockdown started. We just finished a South American tour. Uh, so we came back home. It was the 27th of March. 
uh, no, sorry, uh, February and March 8th, uh, we started the lockdown. So I, I basically watched a lot of movies. Uh, I, I worked on some music, but it was not the priority, to be honest. I wanted to take this time to actually do something creative, but in, in other terms. I drew a lot. I painted. I, I sculpted. I, I did something completely different. Still creative but not that much in music, to be honest. Sure. Just kind of like a, a overall reset, I guess. And that makes yes, sense. Totally. So what's really interesting is that delirium was about going through suffering. And this new album is, is that realization that you go through those hard moments and eventually get out of them and things get better. And there's a new normal that it's okay to enjoy the darkness because it's a part of life. And this album is really designed to be some solace and a companion in these times, isn't it? I think so. I mean, we didn't write it because of because of that, but uh, for sure, in some of the songs, that there are a lot of things that are fitting perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> in with this with this moment, and music is healing. Uh, I think that never before people really realized how art in general and music is so important in our everyday life. We we need music to to go through bullshit. We need music to. Uh, re-energize ourselves and a world without music would suck you know not only because of the cd or the mp3 or the streaming whatever you're listening to but just looking at the tv an advertisement without music it would completely it would be completely different and i think that a lot of people realize how important music is even more right now Let's get into the design of the new album and talk about the process of collaborating with Marco and kickstarting the creative process of this album with pictures and phrases and, and visuals. Yes. Well, uh, the cover is inspired by the Milano emblem. There, there is a, uh, an image for Milano that was the emblem of an old family, Visconti Sforza. And it is a snake that has a, a kid in the mouth which is kind of scary. I mean, if you want to visit Milan and you see that, it's not very promising. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, it looks like it's giving birth to a kid or at least a nothing scary. But anyway, we took it as an inspiration. And Marco, our bass player, also, also creates a lot of artwork for Lacuna Coil, turned it into a dragon with a fallen angel, with a fighting angel in his mouth. And then added three snakes that are biting each other's tail uh, that are representing Marco, Andrea, who's the male singer of the band, and myself, because we are the, the, the three that are still present in the band from the foundations of the band. Uh, and then he added the B and A that are standing, obviously, for, for Black Anima. And we also included some other artists in this creation. One of them is called Mika that was the most important because he made the emblem in his own style. And we found, we found Mik, um, Mika on Instagram. We saw his art and we all agreed that, that it was something that we wanted to pursue. Also because he's also specialized in kind of tarot's artworks. And we were already thinking about a deluxe edition of the record with some tarot so that could be connected to the songs. We wanted to make like a work of uh, it, it, that was something that was more of a big picture. So everything had to be connected from the cover to the pictures, to the songs, to the images. So we started, you know, to, to look for people we wanted to work for with the same idea, with the same goal in mind. 
did those images come before you went on the journey of, of creating the music or, or in the middle or after? I would say in the middle, because, I mean, when we started to talk about the concept of the record, uh, the visual was very important for us. So we started to come up with uh, ideas of uh, images, outfits, pictures, drawing that we have seen that we liked. And we started, you know, to make a point and say, hey, would you like this? Yes. Would you li- would you like this? And to kind of all agree on the visual part of, of the record. As per music, I mean, I'm sure that whatever we put out, we all like because that's mandatory. <laughs> but we wanted to give something artistic as well at the same time. When did you discover that book, The Physics of Angels, and what impact did it have on the album? That was Andrea uh, that started to, to read it. I am not a big reader myself. I, I, I watch more movies and documentaries, but I'm not a, a, a big reader. He found this book and he started to talk to me about it. And I found it really interesting because I really love duality. I really love different points of view on one thing. So to me, it was very interesting, you know, to think about something that was more into the scientific area and something that was more into the religious area, you know, to see how they were talking about the same thing and how the opinions were sometimes clashing and sometimes getting together because we don't know so many things about either religion or science that it was interesting to find a common point so we started to to talk to me about this thing and the old inspiration came out and we started to to create the music and then the lyrics using this as one of the fonts of inspirations the boo crew will be right Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Back. You can run from Suspiria. You can hide from Suspiria. Who's there? But you cannot escape Suspiria. Once you've seen Suspiria, you will never again feel safe in the dark. Rated R. Under 17. Not admitted without parent. Anima is a heavier and darker album. Every song is different from one another, featuring your incredible vocals and heavy guitars, of course. Uh, do the songs come from personal life experiences? We always like to talk about real stuff. Uh, we never wrote like fantasy lyrics, even though I might love, you know, fantasy, the fantasy world or uh, an imaginary world. This is not our thing. Uh, we like to be inspired what happened to us and we try to translate our feelings into words. And for us, uh, also because we are not mother tongue and we are Italians, we have a different perception of English as well. So we are 
also trying to use the sound of the words as well. I've noticed that whenever I read lyrics from from an American or uh, an English artist, sometimes they don't really mind about the sound of the word because the meaning is the most important thing. But coming from the outside, we are trying to give a good meaning, but also the sound of the word has to be important. We usually write the vocal melodies and then we write the lyrics. We don't do the other way around as a lot of artists are doing, you know, to try to squeeze some lyrics in the music. For us, it has to go together. The album really also showcases the explorative nature of the duality of yourself and Andrea and creates a lot of diversity going from song to song, as Leo had mentioned. And you guys weave in and out of this narrative almost like actors. And it's great to see the way you've come up with to use the two voices and really weaponize each other even more so than you've done in the past. What was behind yeah. what was behind that? Was that intentional or did that just happen because of these particular songs? Oh, it just happened because to be honest, I mean, Andrea used growls way back in the past, even from our first demo. But uh somehow we kind of stopped for for a while to use it and we went into a different direction. But we reused it now, but even without a specific purpose, it, that's how the songs were born. We never ask ourselves too much how the next songs are going to sound like. We, we don't want to have any barrier. We are not afraid to experiment. We don't rely on what people think about us and expect from us. Uh, of course, when we create something and our fans are liking it as much as we do we're more than happy but it's not that we create for someone else so whatever comes out if we like the vibe we keep on working on that direction what experience would you say is unlocked in taking the time to experience this album as a complete journey from beginning to end as a listener and sitting with the whole thing well i always say that this album is a journey I know that now as the music business and things are going, everything is really fast and there is the tendency to consider only one song, but we still have that old school mentality that for us, it is important to listen to one record, a whole album to understand what you're talking about, what's the vibe of it and to go throughout a journey. So this record is literally like a movie. You need to listen to it from the beginning till the end to enjoy it much more than just hearing single songs. Ani Manira that kicks it all off as the introduction it has got almost like a childlike tone to it. It sounds like, <laughs> sounds like an yeah. invocation. And then the anima is effectively summoned on sort of anger. And there's so much dense world building in the production. I'm laughing because it was supposed to be an, intro, an instrumental uh, intro. Really? Yeah, oh, wow. and Marco sent it to me because he was like, hey, I did this as an intro because I really like it. This could be cool, even the concerts. And as soon as I heard it, I wrote the lyrics in like three minutes. I sent it back to him, recorded it, and he was like, fuck you. Now we have to use it with the voice because I love it. <laughs> That's why I was giggling. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, with all this this amazing production and the the, the world building that you guys do, with what's going on behind the songs, how much time is spent on the actual production to elevate the experience for the listener? We always consider at least 
three, four months of pre-production. Now, if you want to be a professional in, in music, you don't only have to consider music and lyrics, unfortunately, because there is so much more. As I said, the visual, preparing a record, uh, wait for some deadlines and timing given by the labels, because, of course, the labels will tell you, okay, you have a, this record ready, but we can't put it out right now. So we have to wait, I don't know, five, six months. So you have to plan everything. You have to plan on booking the recording studio to do the record. You have to plan everyone who will be, who will be working with you and for you beside the band, you know, in, the, in that time. It is a hard work to, to, to get a record ready, at, at least for us. But for the songwriting, we consider at least a three, four months. That's that I would say is the minimum. I wanted to just quickly go over the song Beneficium, I believe is how it's pronounced. Beneficium. Beneficium. It's uh, Latin. <laughs> yes. Now, when you look that up, there's a couple definitions. There's It can be known as the preparation of witchcraft or getting ready to do some sort of spell, or it can be an instance of being poisoned. What is it for you in, in terms of that song? It is uh, poison. It is definitely in the phrase, it's more into poison. The translation in English, it's something like, not, not the precise words, because Latin is such a weird, weird language and made out of combinations. It took like 12 people, believe it or not, talking to each other to define the perfect phrase. They all knew Latin, they're all friends of a friend of mine, and they were discussing, you know, which word was going before or after. But the phrase I wanted to be translated was, a new day was born and the poison has been healed. So this phrase, it's something like this. You've had these spectacular videos to augment everything. Layers of Time was released first, followed by uh, Reckless. So you've been working with Saku, the director, on those two yes. videos. I wanted to talk about Reckless in particular I'm not sure if they're both filmed in the same location, but there's this marvelous house that just looks incredible. Is that totally, a set totally, or a real yes. place? Tell us about that place. <laughs> it is a real place. It is uh, nearby Milano, very, very close. It's like, I live in Milano. It's like 15 minutes from my, my house. It's called Villa Arconati. It is a place where no one lives right now, but it, the insides are still uh, rented for you know movies, for events. And as soon as you guys are like into horror and stuff, the last time I went there before I, I, I shot the video with the guys, the videos actually, because either Reckless and Layers of Time have been filmed the same day. Okay. The last time I went there before uh, doing the video was to see a, a Goblin concert. No way! <laughs> yes, and they were playing the old soundtrack of Deep Red. Oh, that's like oh, one that's of your awesome. favorite films too, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, wow, <laughs> exactly. that's awesome. And they played it there, so I just went there. They have a huge, beautiful garden outside, and they put all the chairs, and they projected the video while the band was playing the soundtrack on, on stage. So I thought that it was a cool coincidence. <laughs> that is amazing. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah, the, I mean, the house looks like something out of a Guillermo del Toro movie. It's beautiful. And yeah, it is beautiful. And in Reckless, you get a chance to play with, I mean, there's people levitating. There's gore effects. It's really a horror fan's dream come true. Is this story yeah. going to continue on in, in other videos that are to come? I'm not sure about that because we wanted to have 
two videos, but in, in one day. Actually, it was two days of filming because the first day was dedicated to all the actors that you see in the videos. And we came in on the second day for the performance video and all the extra bits and pieces that they combined. But we definitely wanted to have a good video with a lot of, uh, in a way, cliche. Because if you look at horror movies, most of them are the cliches that we love so much. But I wanted to have that spooky vibe, that uh, weird horror movie vibe. And the guys, you know, shared my my opinion as well. And I think that Sako did an excellent job. And I mean, he's a great director. He works on movies as well. And I love the little girl. She did a great yeah, job. Yeah, she's spectacular. Yeah, I was just wondering, you know, the records have some great horror elements to it with the corpse and the blood and the imagery and stuff. Is there a horror movie in particular that inspired this video? Not this video in particular, but I think that due to the fact that, that the scenography so, uh, is so beautiful and unique, uh, it would totally remind me of uh, a horror movie, an Italian one from the 80s, you know, whether it's Suspiria or, or something like this, because the uh, architect, <laughs> is that how you say? Sure, yeah. Of the place, architect, is spectacular. And this was, this was something that you would see a lot in some Italian horror movies. And the colors, maybe, is very typical for horror movies. <laughs> Are there any directors out there working in horror cinema right now that you would love to collaborate with on any future lacuna coil projects <laughs> rob zombie <laughs> yeah not only not only because i mean i admire him as an artist and we're friends so it will be fun just because of that i think that i mean i love i love rob's integrity he's an old school horror movie director you know corpses murders of blood and we all know i mean we all horror fans know that that just that has nothing to do you know with being uh, an evil person it's something completely different because you look at the special effect you look oh my god i i wonder how did they you know make this corpse so well in terms of sculpting and stuff so rob zombie would be would be someone I I would love to work with. Let's go into horror for a bit. So what are your yeah. earliest memories of being affected by the genre as a, as a viewer growing up? What are some of the first ones you ended up seeing? When I was a little girl, I mean, I don't remember the very first movie that I saw, but when I was younger and I'm talking about, let's say, 14, 15 years old, there was no censorship. I remember watching TV in my room. I had a little TV. <laughs> to be honest, they would play horror movies, porn movies without any any problem. <laughs> so 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 it was very it was very easy to see any any kind of movie without censorship, as I said. And I I immediately got you know a- attracted by this weird thing that I was seeing because I was like, wow, that that is something different. And I cannot really tell you which one was the very first movie. Probably a Dario Argento one because they were extremely popular in the past Dario Argento Lamberto Bava movies the culture of Italian horror movies was huge what would you say are some of the horror films that end up coming out in your music huh hmm well definitely the music of Goblin was one of the inspirations so so more than movies I'm thinking about soundtracks of movies so definitely definitely Goblin's 
the 80s has a lot of amazing horror metal movies like Shock'em Dead, Trick or Treat, Black Roses, and even new ones like We Summon the Darkness and Lords of Chaos. Are there any that are your personal favorites? From the 80s, well, beside uh, Demony was really cool. There's phenomena that I think I think it's cool to mention because I remember there was a lot of metal in there. Not only Goblin, but I remember that Motorhead and Iron Maiden, if I'm not mistaken, there was metal music in the movie. And something that is even interesting to to know is that in the US the the movie was distributed in a cut version. I don't know why. I have no idea why. <laughs> but that's what I remember. I have to recheck. I might be mistaken, but Phenomena was good. And then I don't know if it could be considered a horror movie, but I do. The Shining. And that's one of my, one of my favorite, you know. Have you ever wanted to write soundtrack music for horror or perhaps scoring a horror movie? Hell yeah. I would love to. We all would love to. This is something that we always talk to. And I am also talking a lot with uh, Claudio Simonetti, who is the keyboard player you now for Goblin, is a friend of mine. And we're always talking about a collaboration, about doing something together. <laughs> we're constantly talking about that. That I don't know if it would ever end up in a horror movie, but we love you know, the, the idea of writing something on purpose for a horror movie. Our music is very cinematic. And Marco, uh, our bass player, is also the main composer of the music gets inspired by images so it happens very often that he puts mu- movies on or or video games or documentaries and he he gets inspired by the images so it would be great to, to find out you know what he would be composing with a horror movie are there any recent horror films that have become your favorite not really not really because i mean i tried to watch the follow-up of it but to be completely honest with you, I'm not a huge fan. Maybe because I'm attached to the first version. <laughs> right. Like the, like the, t- the televised uh, version? Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I should have been saying that because, I mean, I, I hate the, you know, the retro love. And I love it because it was old. And, but I, I don't know. It didn't suck me in as I, as I wish it could. Did you really get into any of that uh, the Ari Aster films like Hereditary or Midsummer or anything like that? Nah, nothing. No, not not really. I I I just think that they kind of lowered up the level of scariness. I almost feel that they're trying to be politically correct, even in horror movies. They they just don't go for it. And to me, a horror movie is just like I want to see everything you can give to me without any kind of censorship and. You don't have to be ashamed. <laughs> I have to watch it and, and say, oh, my God, what did just happen? <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to see a movie that's, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm scared because he jumps out of nowhere in a second. I also want to be scared about the idea of seeing something. It's a psychological thing that they need to create. What would you say are some of the films that you regard as the scariest, the ones that accomplish what you're talking about? scariest well i'm 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 thinking about globally not only uh, movies with a lot of blood in it alien can it be considered horror movie definitely yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, alien is definitely one of my favorite and all of them are great well profondo rosso is my 
maybe my all-time favorite, Deep Red. I still consider, you know, kind of horror sort of The Silence of the Lambs, which is one of my all-time favorite movie. I, you know, appreciate the various Halloween. Well, there are many, but it's not that I have like one that is like, oh, I just like this one and that's it. There was one that I saw you guys mention in an interview before. I think it's an Italian film, The House with the Laughing Windows. Yes. No, it it is good. Uh, there is also one that is it's called well, in English in English in English I don't I wouldn't know how it's called but can be translated like the bird with crystal feathers maybe uh, that's the name and that's another famous one. Uh, there is a cool one uh, by Bava called the Demoni Demons. Yep, I, I've oh, seen yeah, that. Yeah. and that was that was really cool too. I know that you're a big Star Wars fan. What mm-hmm. draws you to the saga and uh, who are your favorite characters and which is your favorite movie of them all so far? <laughs> to be honest, uh, everybody <laughs> thinks that I know everything about Star Wars, you know, the name of every planet, <laughs> the name of every character, which is not. I am very attracted by the visual part of Star Wars, by the characters, the study of the characters. I watch a lot of documentaries about that. And I also have a lot of friends in the uh, 501s. Uh, family, which are the uh, people who impersonate the characters in oh, big yeah. events. So I'm I'm more curious about that in Star Wars. But for some reason, think people think that I'm just like the biggest fan in terms of like knowing everything. <laughs> well, my favorite one, I don't know. Definitely the first three that they ever put out. I like better the old ones, and not because they were the old ones and the classics but because i i think that as much as i use computer graphics as much as i use you know technology and i love it uh, they should have keep it much more into handmade stuff like to practical film. effects yeah yeah pro- exactly like special effects are cool but they make everything more cold in a way are you much of a collector I have a lot of stuff at home. I have a lot of stuff at home that I bought and a lot of stuff that Chance brought me. Some cool items that I have. I have um, a lightsaber, which is a replica, obviously. Uh, well, I have a very cool replica of a, of a lightsaber, which is fully functioning. Uh, you can open it and you can see the lights. I mean, I published something on my social media. I will repost it again because the company who made it uh, made a, an incredible job, you know, with sounds and music and everything. But I also have another replica that is maybe, you know, less perfect and less detailed, but it has the signature of the actor who did Darth Vader for the very first movies. Oh, that's uh, cool. Is that nice? Yeah. Yeah. David it- Prowse? Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that was given to me by a fan and I was speechless because, I mean, he... He knew that I. I mean, I. I love to have like some Star Wars uh, stuff, and he told me that the actor was uh, really reclusive. So you know, to have it, it's even more precious for me, and I cherish that. Do you have a favorite piece? Well, that is definitely one of my favorite piece. Uh, I also have. Um, we have been inducted. Marco and I have been inducted in the family of the five hundred one. It's called Italica Garrison, so it's the Italian congregation so that nice. you know holds a lot of meaning to me but then i have a, 
a lot of stuff, including a frame, a plexiglass frame with a stormtrooper made by around 25,000 straws. Wow. That, oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and that is super cool. And then I have a lot of lamps and paintings. I just look at, around in my living room now and it's like <laughs> in between a m- museum and a kid room. <laughs> That's so fun. What is it that you like about being around that stuff? I think that it's really important for me and it should be for everyone to keep the the kid we have inside us alive. I would never be able to think as my life in terms of like, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, a lot of people has a mechanical view of life. Let's say, oh, you're 20, you have to do this. Oh, you have, you're 30, so you have to create a family. You're 40, you have to do this. I never thought about those types of rules. And to me, to keep a, a cool and young spirit, it's important life just to be happier. But at least that's valid to me. So <laughs> everyone is free to do whatever they want. And for me, surrounding myself of all this stuff, it's pure joy. I love drawings. I love action figures. I like stuff. I like to have a lot of stuff around me. <laughs> Is there something in particular that you lust after? Some some item you've been trying to get or would just love to have? Well, I was thinking about, you know, the Stormtrooper helmet, but then I, I got it because a friend of mine actually made one for me. Oh, cool. Uh, there, yeah, and there is a friend of mine called Louis who is part of uh, an Ameri- one of the American groups of the 501 who is actually building a Stormtrooper suit <laughs> for me. No way! <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so l- last time that I was... Um, that I was in the States, he took all the measurements and it was kind of funny because I mean, I'm, I'm surely short for being a stormtrooper, but that works. <laughs> you guys also had the honor of teaming up with DC Comics and they put you on a Batman cover. That's amazing. It was crazy. It was uh, the number 80 of Batman. So it was in the newsstands. It was crazy because when they asked us to do that, I thought it was a joke because it was like, are you, are you, yeah, are you kidding me? And then I got a mail from our management asking us, uh, you know, if we were agreeing on being part of this. I was like, what do you think? Hello? <laughs> no, no, thank you. DC Comics is asking us, you know, if we want to be on the cover of Batman. I would say no. Uh, so it, it was great. It was a great experience. I think that the cover came out great. And that they also did another drawing for, uh, for that deluxe edition that includes, you know, the book, the book, three co- three different covers, uh, and some other stuff in it. But it was a honor. And then we went to visit um, the DC offices in Los Angeles, and it, it it was it was it was great. You know, uh, just to be part of it, it was a huge honor. Going out on tour, do you ever geek out on filming locations or anything like that? Do you do you like visiting that kind of stuff, or is that interesting? I just love to visit as much as I can. Unfortunately, there is not a lot of time because when you're on tour, you see and you know a lot of the venue and the surroundings, but you don't have time to visit that much. But I'm glad that we we found the time to go there. Have you played any haunted locations? Well, we played at the Rave in Minneapolis. Oh, yeah. Everyone talks Uh, about that. Yeah, many, many, many times. And I remember also playing in that place when the the swimming pool was almost closed. And to access to it, you had to go through like a very small hole. 
uh, and the basement part wasn't even done yet. So I remember being a little scared by it, but excited at the same time. And of course, you know, your mind plays tricks on you when you think that you see lights and you hear voices and stuff. I remember I took a picture in the complete dark and there was a light coming from the corner. So I was like, oh, my God, I saw a ghost. Oh, my God. And then I just realized that it was a mirror on the corner. So I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, bummer. Now that our, our government over here has released proof of the existence of UFOs, I was wondering, uh, are you finally going to reveal the meaning of 119 on Unleashed Memories? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not, not yet. But I believe in UFOs, so maybe one day <laughs> we can't be alone. Being a fan of all things dark and horror, is the Halloween season a very big deal for you? It is for me because I really love the celebration, the idea of like, you know, getting in touch with a, you know, with a different world. It is not big at all in Italy. You see very few people kind of celebrating it or even going to, you know, disco pubs, whatever, dressed up. But I like it. I really like it. I remember that a few years ago, I went to the um, Hollywood studios in Los Angeles during the horror nights. And that was one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. It was amazing. Had you ever experienced anything like that before? No, not at all. Wow. Not at all. I mean, I went to the Universal Studios before, but I remember we were recording, I think when it was when we were recording Shallow Life, maybe we were in London with John Gilmore, in, sorry, in Los Angeles. And um, it was just Andrea, Marco, and I in London doing vocals. And again, London in Los Angeles. And we decided to go, so we bought a VIP ticket to get the full experience. And I remember that we just entered and we were like, what the hell is this? <laughs> I was amazed. It was incredible. And then we went years after in Orlando as well. Yeah, I've heard the Orlando one's huge. Do you have a favorite maze that you did? I remember that it was great to be in the Rob Zombie location. And also the train that was incredible because they took us on the little train, you know, the typical touristic train that brings you around. And they faked an accident, so we all had to go out. And they said, well, to go back, you just have to cross this park. You just have to walk in the dark. And they put a lot of speakers on the floor hidden, so there were a lot of noises. And they hang a lot of mannequins from, from the trees. There was also uh, an airplane, so you could actually sit on some seats, and there were some actors scaring you. So that walk was really creepy. I enjoyed it a lot. That was really cool. That that same area is where they ended up shooting some of House of a Thousand Corpses, where Rob actually shot that. So that's like oh. a hollowed ground. And of course, the Bates Motel is there from from Psycho and that you know the Bates House and everything. See, it all makes sense. It does. You love video games and you have a joystick tattoo. What are you playing right yes. now? And are there any <laughs> horror games that? you're really into right now well uh we finished uh my boyfriend and i because he's a huge uh, video game fan as well uh, we finished resident evil 2 the remake that was really good and uh, final fantasy 7 would be my favorite at the moment they made a remake of the game and it was a game that came out more than 20 years ago so i was a little bit scared because it was on the top list of my favorite ones and it is incredible and another great game 
is called control. What's that about? Yeah. Control, you are basically uh, a girl called Jessie. And you are in this building. It, it has the same kind of idea of Resident Evil, you know, when they are based in like police buildings. But you are looking for your brother. And there are a lot of like creatures that are trying to kill you. And you're trying to find out where your brother is and you're trying to solve a lot of mysteries. But it is really, really, really cool. The graphic is amazing. The story is great. And it wasn't super easy because, I mean, I'm not a pro, but I love video games very, very much. But it was challenging and very, very exciting. Yeah, you know, I'm Italian myself. And every time I have a conversation about music with friends and family in Italy, it seems like it always goes to, you know, pop food. music. Uh, oh, I thought you were saying food. <laughs> that too. That too. But, uh, you know, almost, almost rarely does it go to rock music. What's the current state of yeah. rock music, especially the metal scene in Italy? Is it becoming more popular now with bands like yourselves? No, not really. Not really. I mean, the main music is still pop music, traditional music. Actually, right now, trap music and rap music are huge. And it's been like that for a few years now because, you know, a lot of young kids are loving, you know, to hear music in their own language and something that they can write themselves as well. Maybe not great quality, but they can write some songs at home with a computer writing lyrics in Italian. So that scene is really big. Unfortunately, metal and rock are not that huge. They're not really in the charts. Uh, There is still a huge scene in the underground. And of course, if Metallica, if Iron Maiden are coming to play, there will be a lot of people from the community. But at the same time, you know, there is not a lot coming out of Italy. Just before we uh, let you go, I wanted to quickly ask about some of the paintings that you've been posting on Instagram. There's one of Frankenstein. There's a Dracula. Are those (laughs) ones that you've done yourself? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I am a true, I'm a true Gemini with like 10,000 personalities because I go from drawing stuff that it's super funny, super stupid, super silly to Dracula and Frankenstein and, and the monster of the lagoon, the creature of the lagoon that I still, that I still have to call her. Yeah. I just, I just do whatever I, I feel (laughs) that moment. I don't have a specific style, but it's just for fun. And I definitely love to draw. Well, Christina, thank you so much for spending your time thank with you. us today. Thank you. This yeah. album and your band are such a gift and there is strength and inspiration yes. for us in all that you do and we appreciate it so much. Thank you so much, guys. That was the Booth Group Podcast episode 134. Special thanks to our guest, Christina Scabia of the band Lacuna Coil. Follow her at Christina Scabia on Instagram, Miss Scabia on Twitter, and Lacuna underscore Coil on Twitter, and at Lacuna Official on Instagram. If you like this conversation, be sure to check out episode 126 with Maria Brink, episode 106 with Chris Motionless, episode 82 with Mike Patton, and episodes 4 and 5 with Ash Costello. Also, please rate us and write us a nice little review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoy what you are hearing. We appreciate that so much. Music for this episode from Lacuna Coil. Production tracks provided by Powerman5000. 
Until next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.